Now, I'm, I'm not Alan, so I'm not planning on crying, but uh, let's go look at y'all for just a minute. <laughs> you know, I was going to have, I was going to have uh, uh, Kim do the offering, and then I realized that she uh, is going to be out on the playground with, with some of the kids during this time, but I'm going to have her do it while we're still doing this, because I'm really looking forward to her saying, after the end of the tithes and offerings, and now it's time for Pastor Kim. And, you know, she can introduce herself. It'll be great. Uh, Will Severe is, uh, is not in the house today. For those of you who haven't read uh, his, uh, his post about it, he was big time exposed to uh, a COVID-19 case eight days ago now, and he hadn't got his, he hadn't got his test back yet. So he's, he's not symptomatic and uh, very hopeful that there won't be, uh, you know, won't be anything uh, to keep him out of the house. But for the time being... For your sakes, uh, he's not here, but you can pray for him, pray for his family, because I think at least three of the family members, not not the immediate family, but uh, at least three of the family members that he was exposed to do have uh, COVID-19 and do have symptoms. So uh, you you can pray for them. Well, good morning. Stand with me. And let's read together. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anatoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, Buy my field at Anatoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field at Anatoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave this deed to Baruch, son of Neriah, the son of Masaiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, and of the witnesses who had signed the deed, and of all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how <clears throat> practical it is. Thank you for how immediate and how real it is, and how it touches our lives because it touched the lives of the people who brought it. And so, Father, I pray that you give us ears to hear, you give us hearts to understand, and that you would just help us to receive life from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Unless you're getting up to go to the kitchen and get something to bring into the, <laughs> into the living room with. Uh, hope. How important is hope, really? Um, you know, there are those who would, who would actually denigrate uh, hope as a weak substitute for faith. I mean, I've actually heard people, you know, teaching about, uh, about this sort of thing, and they would say, faith is powerful and hope, you know. Well, I hope that it'll happen, you know. You need to have faith that it'll happen. And, you know, I kind of I get that, but that's a, that's a gross 
mischaracterization of hope and an underestimation of the importance of hope in our, in our lives. The Bible seems to think that hope is something actually different from faith, that it's not the same thing. It's not like the, you know, the second cousin of faith or anything like that. And by the way, it's one of the three things that remain, uh, faith, hope, and love. So it probably considers it to be pretty important. Hope is the foundation of faith. It's what, it's what faith should be based on. Uh, the gospel makes no sense to anyone who doesn't have hope for something beyond this. You know, if somebody doesn't have hope that, hey, there's more to me than just this, this, this shell that I'm wearing, this, this body that I'm walking around in, if, if God has not actually placed eternity in my heart and I believe that there's something something beyond, then hearing, hey, you can be saved, that means nothing. Who, uh, who, who cares about that? If you don't have any hope beyond this life, it's when you have hope beyond on this life that uh, you know, the hope that there isn't an afterlife, that something does exist beyond there, uh, that, there's, that there's something inside of me that's going to, that's going to be still around when the grave is gone. If you, don't, if you don't have that, then, but if you do have that, then the gospel's the best news mankind's ever heard. You know, then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, you hear that, you hear that attached to a bunch of different things, but in the context, it's about salvation. It's about people receiving the gospel of, of salvation. What you have faith for is based on what you hope for. Um, over in Colossians, Paul is writing to the Colossians and he says, you know, I thank God for you. I thank God for your faith and your love. And, and, but when I think about it, and then he, he goes on to say, this faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about what you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Uh, the faith that I'm thankful for, the love that I'm thankful for is based on the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. There's been a lot of teaching uh, about faith over the last few decades, but almost no instruction regarding the foundation on which that faith is to be built. Uh, there's a, a new house going up in, in my neighborhood, which that may not sound surprising to a lot of people, but there are at least 20 houses on that three-mile road. So, I mean, a new house, you see it. You, you know when, it, when it's going up. And um, I, I could see that they, were, that they were doing it because, you know, they were clearing some land off and there was a, a drive kind of being put in. Uh, over the last several days, though, there's been a foundation being dug, a foundation being poured and laid, and you don't rush that puppy. You don't rush it. You get it right. You give it time. You let it set. Because if you don't, it doesn't matter how good the house looks once it goes up, it's not going to stand very long if that foundation's not solid. And it's the same thing. And so we have faith for this thing, and we have faith for that, for that thing. Uh, but it's often based on what we want rather than being based on the hope that does not disappoint. 
<laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? I, I, don't, I don't know who's doing the quotes this week on, on uh, but I said that <laughs> on, on social media. Uh, oftentimes we have faith for this thing, we have faith for that thing, but it's, based, it's, it's what we want, not based on the hope that does not disappoint. Therefore, even if we receive what we want or what we have faith for, it, by faith it doesn't always produce the fruit that we might have hoped it would produce in our life. It doesn't always bring forth the result that we, that we were looking for and would like to have. Uh, most of you know that this series we've been doing this year, uh, we've been kind of going along in um, uh, Eugene Peterson's book, Run With the Horses. And in this particular chapter where he's, where he's talking about this, this incident in Jeremiah's life, he has this quote. He says, people try to be good without God and it doesn't work. We try to live the good life and not the God life. and It doesn't work. And so sometimes our faith is based on the desire for the good life rather than the desire for the God life. You know, oh, you mean I'm supposed to sacrifice? Well, if you're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, then yes, I think so. Uh, you know, if God's not going to be able to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ, then you don't have to sacrifice or lay down your life for other people. But I believe that's what he did. So if he's going to conform you to that image, then that's where you go. Jeremiah bought a field. And the armies of Babylon at this time were surrounding Jerusalem, and almost certainly they were camped on the field that Jeremiah bought at Anatoth. That, that, that field was occupied by occupying armies that were invading and his cousin comes and offers to sell him this field at a fabulous price. I, have I got a deal for you? You know, 17, 17 shekels. That's all I want. You get, you get this entire field for 17 shekels. And if it sounds too good to be true, then in the world, it not only probably is, it is too good to be true. But when God enters into the equation, it's an entirely Different story, an entirely different matter. The latest miracle cure in the world has side effects. Wow, you know, that cured my acne, but it shriveled my liver. You know, who, who knew what was going on there? Uh, the hottest stock tip is almost surely a scam. I know from experience. The gospel tends to get lumped in with those things. You mean you just put your faith in Jesus Christ and that's, well, this is a different thing. We're not talking about the world now. We're, we're talking about with God. Uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that whoever looks to him and believes will not die. You know, uh, for those of most of you are probably familiar with the situation where Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the, the Israelites had been naughty. Okay, so what's new? They're people just like us. Been, and uh, there was an invasion of poisonous snakes, and they were dying. I mean, they had a, uh, uh, an epidemic going, a pandemic going on. They had a bad thing going on. And God spoke to Moses and said, here's what you do. I want you to make a serpent. 
a bronze serpent and lift it up, and whoever looks at it will be healed. Don't you know that there were people who went, nah, that, that, that can't be how that works. You know, that, and they died. And they died. But everyone who looked at it was healed. And so that's, that's the way that it is with God. Well, why did Jeremiah do this? Why did Jeremiah buy this field? He did it because he was convinced that the troubles everyone was experiencing at that time, and boy, were they going through them, were at that very moment being used by God and what would eventually turn out to be salvation of the land. And really the, uh, the fact that they were taken off into captivity when they finally came back from captivity, Israel never really had a problem with idolatry again. They've had other problems, but they didn't have problems with idolatry again. It, and the land, the land got to enjoy its Sabbaths that it had not, that it had not received while they were gone. Uh, the fact that God was at work in that kind of situation, does that put you in mind of any kind of scripture verse? I'll give you a clue. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And we tend to only connect that with good stuff. You know, we tend to, oh, wow. You know, I got, I got a check in the mail. Boy, God was right in the middle of that. You know, I got a bill in the mail. Where's God? C.K. Chesterton wrote back in the uh, early 20th century, back before Christian writers discovered there was more money in how-to books. Uh, (laughs) He said, as long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery, a platitude. It's only when everything is hopeless it's only when there, there is no hope that hope begins to have any strength at all. Like all the Christian virtues, is, it is as unreasonable as it is indispensable. Think about that for a minute, because it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable. What, what Jeremiah did was unreasonable. Uh, what Moses did, making a snake and putting it on a stick and holding it up, unreasonable. And a lot of the things that God seems to lead us into at times, it kind of go, I don't understand this. Well, that's, that's not a problem, actually. It's only a problem for you if it's a problem. Can we look at the current situation and see God? You don't have to be able to explain what he is doing to see him. That's a good one, too. Let me, let, me, let me just say that again. You don't have to be able to explain what he's doing to be able to see. In fact, sometimes our attempts to explain why something is happening gets in the way of us seeing God. Yeah, we, can't, we, can't, we can't see him because we're, we're trying to figure it out. Well, it might be more important to see him than it is to figure out what's going on and why it's going on. 
the, this pandemic that we're in, that is, you know, so we're, we're so clearly not, as a nation, not really willing to sacrifice to try and slow it down. And, and, and the economy that eventually is going to, you know, on a wide scale, feel the effects of double digit unemployment, because when people aren't employed, they don't buy stuff. Uh, and so that kind of, let's call it the trickle up theory. Yeah, if, if, if you want to. Uh, What's this about? God is at work. Uh How do you know that? Well, because he never stops. Never stops working. You know, he's always always at work. Well, you know, this is, and and, and, you know, we'll get into things. Well, this is about national national judgment. It's It's a judgment on the nation. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And this side, it's a judgment because of the gays. Oh, really? Yeah, no, it's a judgment because of the way we treat uh, foreigners. Oh, no, really? No, it, it's, it's a judgment because we, we took prayer out of schools. Oh, well, no, no it's, it's a judgment because we took food off the tables of the poor. Uh, it, it, it's a judgment because of abortion. It's a judgment because of incarceration of the innocent. It's a stop. Stop. What's he saying to me? What, what, what does he want? How does he want to change my life? What's, what is he working on here? Here. He, he may be doing something on a national basis, but he's doing something in me as well. And, and even if I understood or thought I understood what he's doing on a national basis, that doesn't count as much as understanding what he wants to change here. What, what he wants to change in my life. See, my God doesn't just pick and choose what he wants to be involved in. In all things, he is at work. And he's at work for my good. If I'll just pay attention and listen. And while we talk politics and debate the efficacy of masks and social distancing and, and, and whether or not we should re- reopen, do you see him? Stop all that. Where is he? Do you see him? In this, my, uh, my favorite quote that Peterson does in this chapter, and in fact, it's probably my favorite quote that he does in the whole book, is he talks about by buying this field, Jeremiah actually, by his action, proclaimed a, an incredible truth to the people all around him. He was in a prison, by the way, when, when he bought this, and, and so were the people all around him. It was not kind of like prisons today. You could kind of, people could kind of come and go. It, it, it was, a, But that's where he was, and, and the situation was desperate. But what he was proclaiming was this. There is more here than Babylonians at the gate. There is God in your midst. There's more here than bad stuff going on out there. God's here. He's somewhere. Where's where's your hope? Jeremiah did not buy the field on the advice of his broker. He bought it by the leading of God. The most valuable thing you can possess ever, and, and I've said this before, but I think in particular it fits in this situation. The most valuable thing you can possess is a word from the Lord. And when things are going swimmingly, when things are going great, we don't listen. 
I was expecting a big amen from the congregation. I said, when things are going swimmingly, we don't listen. Why should I? I mean, things, why should I? Things are going great right now. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing well. I don't need to hear anything from God. He might, he might mess something up. And even worse, sometimes this hope thing requires patience. I'm going to clear my throat. <clears throat> I'm not sick or anything. I just cleared my throat. <laughs> so, I got my mask, and I'll, 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 put, I'll put it back on and peace out, because that's <laughs> what my mask says. Uh, sometimes this, this hope thing requires patience, which is the first quality of love. And boy. That's, Wayne Berry wrote a song one time, and he said, patience is a virtue, but it takes so long to learn. <laughs> Jeremiah got a great price. You're going to sell me this field for 17 bucks? I don't know if a dollar was equal to a shekel, but I mean, you know, let's, let's put it in our context. You're going to give me this great price on this? But he would never possess the field. His descendants would, not him. Does that mean he should not have done it? Hebrews chapter 11, uh, sometimes referred to as the faith hall of fame. And boy, is it. I mean, you got some heavy hitters in, in that chapter. And here's what it says at the end of the chapter. They were all commended for their faith yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. They didn't receive what was promised. Does that mean they shouldn't have done it? Over in 1 Peter, he's talking about the prophets and and, uh, and, and those of old who had spoken about the salvation. And he says this, he says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. When we have a, a word from God, when we, we have a hope, that cannot fail, and it, and it commits us to an action, but it may not be an action that we're going to see immediately what the results are. May not be. This is when faith gets real. This is when faith really gets real. It's when we're going, oh, well, I believed for that, and it didn't happen. And you know what? I still believe. I still believe. Don't you know that frustrates the devil big time? I mean, it frustrates people, but it, you know, it frustrates the enemy big time. What, what can you do with this person since they just have faith? And it's, and it's not always attached to a thus saith the Lord. I can only think of five or six times in my life. I was thinking about this last week. I can only think of five or six times in my life that I had a sure, clear Thus saith the Lord, this is what you're supposed to do. Seventy years, five or six times, that's less than once a decade. Yeah. 
Uh, one of them was coming to this church uh, 32 years ago, and then things kind of slowed down. Uh, <laughs> uh, in some ways. But the rest has been the process of learning to recognize his whispers. Whispering hope, if you will. It's been the process of going, you know, I think this is what he's saying. So let me, let me go there. And, you know, and there have been times when people have kind of wanted to hear me say, well, pastor, is this the Lord or is this not the Lord? And all I can say is, I think this is the Lord. Yeah. Because to me, when I say this is the Lord, it better be. Because it's going to, it's going to motivate what my actions are based on what I've heard there. Otherwise, I'm taking the Lord's name in vain. <clears throat> Peterson says this. He says, it's far easier to languish in despair than to live in hope. It's far easier to languish in despair than it is to live in hope. For, for when we live in despair, we don't have to do anything. Uh, you know, we can, we don't have to risk anything. We can live lazy, shiftless life. Just kind of, just kind of let it happen. And you know, and who's going to blame us? I don't, I don't, I don't blame you. That's, you know, that's what I would do too. It's the comfort zone. It's the comfort zone. Despair is a comfort zone. You go, oh, nobody wants to be in despair. It's a comfort zone. It really is. When you have hope, you've got to step outside of the comfort zone. When you have hope, it demands that you do some things that maybe, that maybe look a little foolish. Jeremiah looked foolish sitting in a prison, food running out in the city, the city, and him saying, this city is going to be taken. It's going to be destroyed. Everybody's going to be de uh, deported and giving money to somebody for something that he was never going to possess. That, that was out of his comfort zone. That was kind of foolish, but he had a hope. Because he said this later on in the chapter, he says, For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, Houses and fields and vineyards will be bought and sold in this land again. Oh, okay. In your lifetime? I don't know. Oh, where's your faith? It's in Hanamel's pocket. It's in this deed that I just sealed and had stored in a, in, a, in a jar so that it'll still be there when it's actually needed. Don't know if I'm the one who's going to need it or not, but it's going to be needed. Because this is a, a hope that does not fail. You kind of go, well, you know, that just sounds so easy. It wasn't easy. In fact, Jeremiah goes on later uh, to pray, and he says, after, it's, after this is all done, he says, Oh, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing's too hard for you. Great are your purposes, mighty are your deeds. And though this city is going to be given to the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, say to me, buy this field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. Yeah. 
And so I don't understand how to balance those things, but I don't have to because I see you. And since that's what you told me to do, that's what Jeremiah did. And so in the midst of this season, I don't know what God is saying to you, but he wants to say something. I don't know what he's doing in you, but he wants to do something. He never stops. Never stops working. Take the time to find out what it is. And do it.